Great. Thank you, Grania. Mm, nice. Um, so a couple things as we continue. Uh, how many people are here for the first time? Raise your hand. So great. Well, keep, keep your hand up a sec. Keep your hand up. We want to welcome you and acknowledge you and appreciate you and enjoy you and honor you. So nice to have you here. Really, come as you wish to any of the Insight Meditation community events. All the sitting groups are, are open like this. Um, let's see, what else? So, uh, you know, I always come generally with a talk prepared, and I have a talk prepared, or half prepared, prepared enough. Uh, but I always feel a little conflicted when I, especially coming somewhere where I haven't been for a while. Like in the, my regular group in San Francisco uh, every week, it's, I know people and we have a way of working together. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I haven't been out in uh, Spirit Rock in a while, and so I'm always also drawn to do something more interactive. So I see who you are, or what's happening with you, or what's important with you, or what feels vital for you. And so I'm drawn a little bit in that direction, and I can do that in two ways. We could either do questions and, and then some kind of response, you know, question and then maybe an answer, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then, um, or we could do, we could make up a talk together, which I also enjoy doing, where you give me a number of themes of what, what would you like me to talk about? What, what's really important to you? Or what do you care about? Or what's, what's the cutting edge for you? Or what do you think might be most challenging for me? It could be anything. And then, and I'll take the themes and I'll, I'll weave them, I'll make a talk out of it. So we have three options tonight, right? I'll give this talk that, you know, it's a pretty good talk, I think. What's it on? I'm Why don't you give it and let us decide? Pardon? Why don't I what? Give it and let us decide. Yeah, okay, I'll let you, I'm, I have my opinion about the talk. I can have my, you can have yours, I'll have mine about the talk. We don't have to agree. I'm okay with that. Um, so I could give the talk, and or I could do questions and discussion, or we could make up a talk together. Make up a talk. Wait, wait, wait. I, I appreciate your <laughs> forthrightness, but let's let's be a little more democratic <laughs> about it. The topic would be about the body, mindfulness of the body. That's why a little bit why I was emphasizing the, the instructions in that direction. Can you give us a subheading about what that is? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, you, you got to deal with it the way it is. Okay. So how many people, how many people would like me to do the talk, talk on the body? That's a good amount there. Let's see. Okay, well, a lot. Wow. Okay. How many people would like questions and discussion? That's always a loser. Okay. <laughs> okay. Two, two down here. Okay. How many people would like us to make up a talk together? <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so I'll, I'll give the talk, but we'll see. Maybe we can, maybe I'll make it short and then we'll have to relate a little more. Let's see. So I'll tell you a little bit. I'll give you a little background this talk. Um, partly uh, this talk has come about because I've given many talks on the body and I like to talk about the body and mindfulness of the body. Um, so let's begin with Let's, the most important thing about this talk is for you to stay present in and with the body while I'm talking. That's the whole talk, really. Your mindfulness of the body, all this talk is so that it hopefully will encourage or support in some way you staying present with your body right now. Because this was... This is understood to be and was taught by the Buddha to be one of the major doors to awakening. This, our human body. Joseph Goldstein's teacher, Manindraji, he used to say, the whole Dharma is sitting here. And it's important to really get that. The whole Dharma is actually in your seat. It's not in my talk it's not in all the books in the bookstore. Those are all pointing at the Dharma. The Dharma is sitting in your seat. The Dharma is the living reality of what's here. And the body is one of the main expressions of the Dharma. One of the main uh, expressions, one of the main uh, skillful means, one of the main uh, uh, doorways to understanding and realizing what the Buddha taught. And the Buddha himself, like, and, and so mindfulness of the body, um, when we begin to uh, um, look at what the Buddha taught, how the Buddha taught people to be mindful, he starts, he teaches, there's one main sutta, one main teaching story um, of hundreds, hundreds, maybe thousands, but hundreds. There's actually only two three main meditation teaching stories out of hundreds of stories about ethics and morality and, and virtue, about um, uh, karma and wisdom and insight. And there's all kinds of teaching that the Buddha gave. He, there's three main teachings on meditation. The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Anapanasati Sutta, which is the teaching of mindfulness of the breath or mindfulness of the in and out breath, and then mindfulness of the body. And of course, mindfulness of breathing is a mindfulness of the body practice. So if you look at the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, what the Buddha does is say, here's a way Here's, here's a, a, a skillful means for those seeking a path to freedom from suffering. And then he gives some very simple instructions about how to be mindful, which is to be uh, mindful, ardent, and fully aware. Those are the three, sati, which is translated as mindfulness. Sati includes being mindful and aware and uh, ardent. It's actually the heart quality of mindfulness. There's an ardency. When you start to plug into the Dharma, 
there is actually a passion that comes or a love that comes or a devotion that comes that's an important part of practice. To be mindful and not care about it, I don't actually know what happens. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that works, actually. I think at some point, if it doesn't touch your heart, it might not be the right practice for you. And so the Buddha even had an ardency, a kind of devotion or dedication or commitment, uh, right wrapped up into what it means to be mindful, to be present in this way. And so he gives some simple instructions, and then he goes to the mindful contemplation of the body. The mindful contemplation of the body, which is the first foundation of mindfulness. And so it's the, it's the foundational foundation of all the foundations of mindfulness. That's <laughs> almost moving into Zen terrain now. But what I mean is that it's the ground for being mindful of what he calls feeling, feeling tone, what he talks about as mindful of the mind, and then mindful of the dharmas, which, in, which is a, a, a way of understanding, of seeing, through the le- seeing reality and our experience through the lens of the Buddha Dharma. Those are the four, I've just described the four foundations of mindfulness. And the ground or the foundation of the four foundations is this mindful contemplation of the body. And so please feel your body, sense your body, let it breathe, feel the breath. Notice that there's a reorientation when we do that. Like the, re- the orientation comes into here, into, into our own presence. Often our orientation is out into the sights and sounds and, and, and experiences and the thoughts and the feelings. We want to stay, and all those can still be here, and actually all those will be here, and sometimes even more vividly when we're actually present with our body. And it also points, when we do this, when, we, when we're practicing together, this is sangha, sangha meaning community, is sangha means um, that there is a shared value that we are engaged in. And the shared value here is the path of awakening. It's the path of liberation. It's the path of wisdom and compassion. That value supersedes other values, more conventional values, like being social or looking good or you know, making a big impression, you know, that's fun to do here and there, you know, and our personalities like to do that. Or we get nervous when we don't do that, when we don't act in a kind of habitual way or a repetitive way. But the Dharma and our shared value as Sangha allows us to step outside those habits and to orient towards here, to now, or to being, or to presence, or to mindfulness, whatever language you want to use. So the body becomes one of the first door, the ground, the center from which uh, awakening uh, emerges. And it's often um, um, surprising for people. Like they don't come to meditation to 
get embodied. You know, mostly people come to get enlightened or free or have some big experience. But the idea of just landing here as the doorway to awakening is sometimes a surprise. So the Buddha starts with the mindful contemplation of the body. The word contemplation is a very interesting word. Contemplum. Contemplum. As if in a temple. So this, to contemplate, means to begin to engage in our, with our reality, the reality of ourselves, in a sacred way. That what is numinous, what is sacred, is right here. And it's similar to the understanding of St. John of the Cross who wrote, he said, your body is a divine stream, as is your spirit. When your two great rivers merge, one voice is found and the earth applauds in excitement. So the body bringing together what we're doing when we're becoming mindful like we did in the instructions, we're starting to orient towards the body sitting here in the shape of the body and then the inner sense of body and then the breathing of the body. We're bringing body and mind together that split that we often feel where we're, we're kind of, a, we're living in a virtual reality of our thoughts and our ideas and our reactions and our wants and our needs and our hurts and our desires and our feeling deficient or feeling grandiose or all that. It doesn't exactly go away. It's not that we're done with it. But we can start to pay attention to some other part of our experience and then watch the impact when we land here in a, in a felt sense way on all of the machinations of mind. Because they can start to lose their grab a little bit. They can start to lose their uh, enchant, enchanting impact on us. And maybe we can start to see a little more clear or be a little more clear or, or get a little more objective about reality. Um, and so I've been teaching this in San Francisco because we've been doing a, a series for, I don't know, six weeks now on the Satipatthana Sutta. It'll probably last about three or six months. We'll just go, we're going through it in some detail. Um, and one of the women last night, last night was like, usually I'll give a talk, a whole talk, and then the next, and I'll ask people to practice in a certain way, and the next week we discuss it, you know, what happened, and how was it, and what worked, and what didn't work. And So a woman raised her hand, and she said she had a really strong experience just by being with her body. She said she realized she was anxious all the time, and at work especially, she was really anxious. And then her stomach was tight, and stomach was tight, and she's always worrying about, you know, touching the person she's working with, and then she's worried about um, uh, the next person coming, and is she on time, and she's anxious, and then she felt like, she said, I finally started to say, okay, I'm anxious, I can feel the tension. She said she started to get present with the tension. And then she started to breathe with it and stay present. She said it started to relax. And she said, she said, and it changed her whole experience of work. And finally I said, well, what do you do? 
you know, I couldn't tell what she did. And she's a dental hygienist. And she said the most interesting thing, she said, I realized that I was really touching people when I worked on them. And, you know, if you think about it, and, and then we talked about how intimate it is to be a dental hygienist, right? You're, you're literally going in people's bodies and touching them, caring for them, helping them. And she said it just changed the whole, her whole relationship with people, with the people she's working with. And she said like, like with the, when it first happened, this conversation happened with one of her clients, patients, that she said it never would have happened if she wasn't there. And it was really, I was so happy to hear this, and partly because personally I love my dental hygienist. Because <laughs> it's, here, the, it's a little caveat, but I'm going to throw it in. Because I practice a lot at the dentist when, when I'm there. Like, what else is there to do, right? <laughs> so you're there. You know, and they're doing all this stuff to you and in you. And so it's really the only thing I know how to do is be mindful and practice. And, and it works. I have a lot of deep practice at the dentist. <laughs> so I want to encourage everybody next time, you know, instead of like, you know, bearing and gritting and reacting, you can do all that, but be mindful of it and see what happens if you stay present. Stay present with your body. Stay present with the uh, uh, possibility of actually relaxing into the present moment and then seeing the power of what can happen. And this is part of the whole emphasis on embodiment with mindfulness of the body. So the Buddha outlines this contemplation the, of the body Sometimes it's translated as being mindful of the body in the body. Sometimes it's being mindful of the body as a body. I like both of those. Both of those are very important. Being mindful of the body in the body. We're actually here. We're, it's the inner sense of body. Not the idea, not the imagining, not the reflection about, not the image. Those, those can all come, but the actual experience, the lived experience, the present moment experience right now, it's right here. It's always available, right? As if in a temple, this is a portable temple that we have. It, it goes with us everywhere until we die. So the contemplation of the body in the body as a body and then the Buddha outlines a series of practices of how to be mindful in and of the body. Posture is one of the first ones. Mindfulness of the breath is one of the first ones. Mindfulness of the body in all activity, in all movement. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't bring the, the actual text. But the Buddha starts, he actually outlines, he says, you know, when you're standing, walking, lying down, sitting, which is, again, all the postures, um, when you're moving, reaching, grabbing, um, standing up, sitting down, and he goes through eating, drinking, defecating, urinating, 
I mean, you know, it's no part left out practice, right? Everywhere you are, the body's there. And we have an opportunity to practice. If you do this practice for one week, one week, very fully, come and talk to me. Because you will have a deep experience. No, no doubt about it. It will, it will teach you a tremendous amount about the nature of reality. One of the things we'll see, so, so the Buddha, the outline, so there's um, the postures, the breath, uh, full awareness in all activities. Then he, then he does, and I'll, I'll describe them, then he goes through the different parts of the body. There's a way to meditate going through the different parts of the body, scanning through them. Then he does a, um, a series of um, um, practices contemplating death, the death of the body. And um, the other piece that he also talks about is what's called the elemental nature of the body. And this is, in, in its simplest form, it's that the inner sense, when we have a sense of what's actually happening, the felt sense of the body, it can be described as um, uh, solid, uh, uh, the earth element. It can be, it has temperature, the fire element. Uh, it has um, a sense of fluidity, the water element. And it has um, uh, movement, the air element. So like the breath is an experience of the air element. These four basic elements comprise the whole universe. They begin to point us at what is sometimes called, a little bit mechanically, our interconnectedness with reality. From my ear, even interconnected, it's a little like Legos or something. You know, it's a little like things are stuck together. Rather than seeing that the nature of reality is one, and we are actually an expression of that oneness. And this is on the level of the elements. We, we are the same as all of nature. There is no difference on that elemental level. And to start to perceive, it's one of the reasons I believe people like to be in nature. Because we see ourselves, we feel ourselves, we know ourselves. We often feel like we come back to ourselves in nature. It's because we are nature. There is no difference from us in nature on this purely physical level. Now, now there's a... There's a um, a logic to how the Buddha teaches mindfulness of the body also. What he does is he starts with the most basic direct experience and then he broadens it out to a more discriminating experience. So what I mean by that is you start with the immediacy, the felt sense, the sensations of the body, the sensations of the posture, the sensations of the breath. This is being mindful of breathing, mindful of breathe, mindful of body. And then he begins to open it up a little. When you start to get to the elements, you're also you're using a more analytical kind of meditation combined with the immediacy. 
you're identifying, like right now, feel, um, feel anything that's hard. Notice anything that's hard in your body, like the touching of this, your butt on the chair might feel some pressure or hardness. That's the earth element. And you can do a whole meditation practice based on this. You can notice, oh, earth element, and just feel that hardness. And then notice the breath, and it's the air element. So it's slightly more analytic. It includes the present moment experience, but it also expands the capacity to discern, which is an important capacity that we develop as part of practice, as part of mindfulness. The breath is similar. It starts with just purely being mindful of the breath, the felt sense, the sensations, the in and out breath. And feel it. Feel your breath for a breath or two. And then the Buddha, he, and, he, and then he asks us to notice, is the breath long or short? Is it rough or smooth? What's, what's the texture of it? While you feel the direct experience. So there's the experience, the knowing, and, the, and we're starting to discriminate a little more finely. There's a little more mindfulness in the, with the direct experience. Notice if it's shallow or deep. Notice if it's pleasant. If it's pleasant, let yourself enjoy the breath. Notice what's pleasurable. Sometimes the delicacy of the breath can be pleasurable. Sometimes the fullness can be pleasurable. And then he asks for, then he, he does something more, um, uh, he adds a little more complexity to the teaching of mindfulness uh, of breathing, which is mindfulness with breathing. Now notice if there's a part of your body, any part of your body that's uncomfortable at all right now. Just be aware of that for a moment. This is also mindfulness of the body, which is pain. So notice the pain. Now, and then breathe with the pain or the discomfort or the disease. Like let, let the breath go there, massage it or saturate it or nourish that area. Moisturize it, one of my teachers says. And notice what happens. Anybody want to say what happens? Just call out? It dissolves. Okay. Is that, do you like that? Yeah, so you want to include both the dissolving and being mindful of the liking. And it's fine to like it. Relaxes. Relaxes. Okay. Um, I feel a lot of tension on the right side and I try to breathe, but yeah. it's like on this side the, the breath is deep and on this side is shallow. Okay. It's funny. So one side is tense, one side is not. On the side that it's not, the breath feels deep. On the side that it's tense, feels shallow. See if you can bathe that side a little bit, like, like consciously, actively 
increase the breath on that side. Yeah, do a little breathing like that. And then let the breath resume a more normal breathing as you stay with that side. And just, you're not trying to get rid of the tension. Here's, this is important. You're breathing with it to be mindful of it. It may dissolve. We like that when it dissolves. It's not actually the goal. It's, it's great when it does. I totally love that. You know, you breathe into something and it dissolves. But it won't, that's not what, but it, what it can do is the breath becomes an ally to help us stay present with something that's not comfortable, like tension on one side of the body. Or if you're sad, you can breathe with the sadness. This is mindfulness with breathing. And the breath becomes a friend, it becomes an ally, it becomes a support for our mindfulness. So the body now is supporting us. Mindfulness of the body is supporting us even when we expand the instruction beyond just mindfulness of the body. <clears throat> so there's the uh, movement towards embodiment, to being here. And this is emphasized over and over again in the Buddhist texts, in the Buddhist teachings. This is from my teacher's teacher's teacher. So this goes back three generations. This is from Ajahn Mun, who was a, a, a great forest master in Thailand. He said, in your investigation of the world, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Isn't that interesting? In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the selfless nature of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. The wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. Of course, purity of mind shining forth. This is all a euphemism for awakening, for enlightenment. And you can hear in what Ajahn Mun says, he's saying, he's saying, don't stay, stay together, stay here, stay present, stay with your body, stay with the felt sense. Notice how the mind will go away. It'll go away a million times. No judgment about that. He didn't say judge it. He just said, make your effort. Feel it. Feel your body. Feel your, your hands on your legs or touching your face or feel your aches or pains. Stay present. Stay here. See what happens. He said, and then you'll see things. You'll see the elements that I described. He said, you'll see the impermanence of the body, right? This is... This is the great teaching of impermanence, the human body. Like the whole universe, right? The same as the whole universe, it's expressing the same impermanence, only in a much more poignant way, right? We're all, we're all aging. Whatever age you are, your whole life up until now is totally gone. I mean, it's shocking, really, when we really contemplate it, but it's totally gone. Remember last year? 
Remember, you know, three weeks ago? Remember 15 years ago? It was all so real. And it is real in a relative way. Just like this moment is real. But it'll be gone in another, you know, wow, 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And we can, you can actually start to feel it. It's the body itself is alive. It's not static. Reality is not static. The Dharma is pointing us at this, what's called ecstasis, not static, ecstasy. Ecstasis is the Latin for ecstasy. Ecstasy just means it's not fixed reality, it's alive. And the body is right here, revealing this every moment, every moment. It's right here. We overlook it. We look too far. We, we always think it's going to be somewhere else, out at Spirit Rock or some mountaintop or some retreat or in Tibet or somewhere else. Don't let the mind desert the body. Stay here. Um, and to stay here, what does that mean? It means, can we be in our body? And let me, let me really be respectful here. There are actually many reasons why it's hard to be in the body for many of us. Different, different histories that we've had, different kinds of um, hurts, abuse, trauma, etc., etc. There, there are some real reasons why it's actually not so easy to be in the body very little modeling of, of people who are actually in their body. I mean, my parents were not in their bodies. They were, they were sweet people, but that was not their, their strength. That was like the last... I don't think my parents even exercised their whole life. They were like from another generation. They were... You know, how many of our parents are actually... How many people do we know in general who are really embodied? So it, it will challenge us. What will it challenge? It will challenge our sense of self. It will challenge the staticness of who we take ourselves to be. And this is good dharma. Good dharma will challenge our sense of self. And when I say that, what I mean is the sense of self that is reified or static or um, based on the past and not the living reality of who and what we are in the immediacy of the present moment. Because sometimes people think, oh, there's no self in Buddhism, and then I'm empty, and there's nothing happening, and it's dead and boring. And, you know, maybe you can see some people who practice like that, you know, but, but that's not what it means. If you, you look at the Dalai Lama, he's so alive. He's so, but he's not static. In fact, um, you know, they do these studies of um, uh, face, face and facial muscles. Paul Ekman um, does this, and he studied the Dalai Lama and the Dalai Lama's face. He said the Dalai Lama has some musculature of a 20-year-old because it's so unheld. He laughs easily, he cries easily, which is natural for human beings. We're not static, we're not fixed. 
And so sometimes to begin to land in our body, it'll actually bring up issues of why it's hard to be in our body. A certain kind of fear or a certain kind of tension. We'll, we'll, we'll find the, the holdings of our, of our pains, of our hurt, are actually in our body. This is commonly known in somatic therapies. And so there are a lot of different skillful ways to work with them, in addition to mindfulness of the body. So the teaching is about embodiment, or as Hamid Ali said, the teacher for the Diamond Approach, he said, when I say, are you in your body, I mean, are you completely filling your body? I want to know whether you are in your feet or you just have feet. <laughs> Do you live in them or are they just things that you use when you walk? Are you in your belly or you just vaguely know that you have a belly? Are you present in your cells, inhabiting and filling your body? And he's talking about consciousness, awareness, being one with what's here, not being split, not being separated, not being divided, not being fragmented. And then if we are fragmented, part of our practice is to remember, remember who we are. And of course, remembering is you know, how we conventionally think of it is remembering the past, but to remember, if we, if we lose one of our members and it's reattached, it's remembered, we become whole again. One way you can understand sati or mindfulness, which is translated as remembering, is to become present, become whole in the present moment. To become undivided or unified here and now. Hamid also said something really interesting. He said, attachment to our body, attachment to our body is inversely proportionate to not being fully inside our body. And I'm going to say this again. It's an interesting idea. Attachment to our body, being attached to it, is, is actually related to how much we're not actually present in it. If we're at, the more present we are in it, the more we don't even have to think about it. We're not attached to it. It's alive. That living reality is here. When we're disconnected from it, then we grab on. Then we hold on. And the Buddhist teaching is about embodiment and disidentification or non-attachment. And it's a paradox. And, and good practice will always bring us into the reality of paradox. So, you know, in some ways it sounds like that doesn't make sense. Oh, how do we be embodied and not identified? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you actually have to practice to see what that means. That act, when when the, the reality of the body, when the mind and body become one, there's nobody who even worries about being identified or not. That, that whole question can fall away. The attachment to the body can fall away, not as a dissociative pushing away, but actually just seeing the reality of this unfoldment, of this aliveness in its immediacy, I don't know if I can say this well, but I'm going to say it anyways, and you can blame me for it later. 
there's nothing actually here that's solid. There's nothing actually to hold on to. It's just the body, alive, living for a while, and then it just will fade away like everything. So it has it, I don't mean to say it doesn't have its relative reality, but there is a level of uh, penetrating where we see the unfindableness of anything solid. This is one of the ways the word emptiness is often uh, equated with the unfindability of anything solid or permanent. And that unfindability is not a bad thing. It's actually liberating. It's freeing. brings great happiness. That's why it's not a, that's not a, it's not a dissociation. It's actually moving to a deeper level of who and what we are. And that always makes people happy. Sometimes it scares people at first. I, w- I want to give, make sure that's in the room too. That, that can happen. It's like, oh shit, who am I if I'm not? You know, that happens. I mean, my, one of my first big experiences in meditation of emptiness, I was like, oh my God, there's nobody here. That's what my mind said. Oh my God, there's nobody here. But, but there was still something here. And that something is good. And it's already here. This is very important to know. The Dharma, what the Dharma is pointing at is already here. You don't have to go make it up or fix it. It, We're asked to discover the truth. The Dharma means truth. We're asked to discover the truth of what this human experience is. And this is my view, my opinion, what this human experience is, is actually quite beautiful. And it's, it is who and what we are. When the overlays start to become less obscure, when the conditioning starts to relax and fall away, when the, all the ideas and beliefs and habits and memory, when that starts to clear out, what arises is beautiful. It's radiant. The human heart, the human mind, the human soul, even though we don't use the word soul in Buddhism. So I'm, I'm not sure what time I'm supposed to end. Do you know, Dawn? Does anybody? Usually, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody know? I think 9.50. 9.50, so I've got a few more minutes. Let's see, where else to go? Oh, I know what I want to say. Here's, here's another piece, and this is in all of the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, the Buddha, there's a refrain that happens after each of the uh, meditative instructions, like he gives mindfulness of breathing, and then there's a refrain. He gives mindfulness of the 32 parts of the body, then there's a refrain. The refrain says one contemplates the body in the body, this way and that way, and a number of different ways. Uh, One contemplates the body uh, in the body. Internally, one contemplates the body uh, externally. One contemplates the body in the body both internally and externally. This is an important piece of the Buddha's teaching that's underemphasized in 
my humble opinion, um, which is contemplating externally. So if you look around right now, see that there are all these bodies here. Take a look and just see bodies. And notice you'll overlay a lot of things. We'll do that very quickly, you know, man or woman or, you know, different colors or different... We like some people, we don't like other people, or even the clothes that they're wearing we'll have opinions about. But you can look and see if you can see, oh, this is a body sitting here. There's another body sitting here. There's another body sitting here. The bodiness of others. Both, so we're contemplating both internally and externally, mindfulness of the body. And one of the, one of the ways you can practice if you want to experiment with this is go through a week practicing internally and externally and seeing the bodiness of other people. Just that basic, organic, simple aliveness that we call body. And then, I guess, I don't have so much more to say. I think the last thing I want to say is just how important the Buddha felt this was. He gives a teaching. He says, um, uh, uh, mindfulness of the body basically leads all the way to awakening. Mindfulness of the body leads to realization, to knowledge, to understanding, to uh, 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 happiness in this present life, mindfulness of the body. And then there's a very interesting piece after the Buddha dies. And the Buddha, it said, even with his great store of merit, was a body. Part of his experience was the bodily experience. And he died, right? He wasn't the immortal or he wasn't the God in that way. He lived, he died, which all of us will do. And we will succeed in dying, no matter how we feel about it. I want to to just reassure you about that. But but after he dies, so imagine this. Imagine, you know, you're hanging out with the Buddha for 20 years. And then he dies. How would you feel? Maybe a little bereft. A little sad, grieving. So his attendant, Ananda, who was his very close attendant, a cousin of his, spent 20 years with him. Ananda is grieving after the Buddha died. And he wrote this poem as part of his understanding. He said, all the directions are obscure. The teachings are not clear to me. With our benevolent friend gone, it seems as if all is darkness, right? This is how it could feel, right, when one's beloved teacher dies. But then he goes on to say, he said, For one whose friend has passed away, for one whose teacher is gone for good, there is no friend that can compare with mindfulness of the body. That's a very... Very strong statement, a very powerful understanding of how deep... Basically, he's saying, if you don't have a Buddha, you have your body. You have this possibility to awaken and to learn awakening, to learn the Dharma, just by the simple human form. 
So, question, comment? When you've mentioned the four foundations of mindfulness, can you just outline? The four foundations is mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, which is technically feeling tone, which is not what we call emotions, but it's the, it's the quality of any moment, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Like if you're listening to the talk and you like it, it might be pleasant, a pleasant feeling tone. If you're listening to the talk and you don't like it, it would probably be an unpleasant feeling tone. If you're listening to the talk and you're spaced out, it'll probably be more neutral. That's a little example of feeling. So mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the feeling tone of any moment of existence. Every moment has a feeling tone. Then mindfulness of the mind, which includes what we call feelings. Remember, the word for mind in in Sanskrit and Pali, chitta, meant both heart and mind. They didn't have the same division we had back then. Um, So mindfulness of mind states, thinking, feelings, emotions, moods, all of that. And then the fourth foundation is mindfulness of what's sometimes called mental qualities, but better just to call dharmas, which means reality, mindfulness of reality, but mindfulness through us through the lens of the Buddha Dharma, seeing the different understanding, seeing reality through the hindrances or the the seven factors of enlightenment or the four noble truths, or seeing how that all works right here, right now. So that's the four foundations. And you could just Google the four foundations of mindfulness, you'll get so much good material. And and, as far as I'm concerned, that's one essential teaching if you're interested in insight meditation, the four foundations of mindfulness. Anything else? Any other question before we end? Back here. Thank you, Gina. I'm glad that we voted on you giving the talk. Okay. Okay, good. One thing you brought up, talking about the the practice of the dentist. The dentist, yes. I think that's a great place to practice because all the... Fear and pain right. associated with it. Right. I have a special relationship to it because my dentist is a is a um, he's a Buddhist practitioner for, uh, for many years now. Uh-huh. And a few years ago, I I get really bad reactions to dental anesthetics. It makes me sick. Right. I said, is there any way to do this without it? And he goes, well, let's try it out. Uh-huh. And so for years now, I've had intense procedures done with no anesthetic at all uh-huh. because we both breathe with it. And right. We both practice. Right. First of all. There's a lot less pain involved in dentistry than people think. A lot of it's psychologically. And then, well, let's let everybody discover for themselves. But, <laughs> but I appreciate what you're saying. No, that there is a possibility for bringing our practice, actually supporting us, learning how to be with pain and discomfort, differentiating the fear of it from the direct experience of it, and often the direct experience is not as bad as we think. It's never as bad as we think it's going to be. Maybe worse, maybe, you know, less, but it's not, it's never, reality is never what we think it is. So thank you. It's been really bad. I'm going, it's only a sensation. It's only a sensation. Yeah, yeah, I keep saying that. I'd like a little bit of anesthesia myself. <laughs> Even just reading a newspaper, even just reading 
Keep, keep it simple. Just feel the newspaper while you're reading it. That's all. No, I'm serious. Actually, touch is a great way to stay mindful of the body. Feel what you're touching, smelling. Remember, seeing and hearing is also part of the body. Right? So even now, you can be aware of the seeing. Not so much the objects, but the actual. Feel your eyeballs. Sense your eyeballs. Sense your ears. Sense your eyeballs when you're reading. Sure. Yeah. It's not it's more complex, but it's possible. Here's my instruction for computers, right? This is one that kills people's practice. Or or TV or driving. It's the same instruction. Sit down in front of your computer or your TV or in your car and just practice mindfulness of the body. But don't turn the computer on or the TV on or start the car for about 10 or 15 minutes. And really start, get, get your ground going before you raise the complexity. So you have an orientation, you have a felt sense of what it's like to be present. Then you bring up the complexity. Does that make sense? And really give it a try. It's very interesting to sit at your computer with your keyboard and not, it puts it in perspective, really, a lot. Okay. So is that, is that good for tonight? Yeah? Okay. Let's, one more. Go ahead. No, what do you mean hyperfocus? I don't quite know that term. A little bit, yeah. There is a state that you can shift in where it's sort of like it's like an uber plunging onto something. Like uh-huh. like, I, I, I'm not sure if part of the state that talks about it, but it's you can like lock into something for hours and hours and hours and right. be aware of the sort of like instead of just not wanting to shift what you're doing to just stay unpleasant. So, yeah, okay. So is the question um, so what what's the question about that state I, I would if if this you can you need to experiment but I would use the breath I would breathe with it and let the breath see if you can let the breath be some kind of balm or relaxing or something like that I don't I don't really know much about the state but any strong state that kind of takes us if we can start to breathe in the middle of it, it can start to bring some space or some openness. And so, and very gently and kindly, not forcing anything, but experimenting, like being curious. What happens if I breathe when I'm really anxious and tight? What happens when I breathe if I'm really mad? I'm really caught in the mad. It's just going on and on and on. What happens if I start to breathe with it? Again, this is mindfulness with breathing. So you could experiment there. Okay, everybody. Great to be with you. I think I probably have an announcement or two more somewhere. There it is. Um, next week, Ed Brown will be here. Ed Brown is an uh, old friend. He was, a, he was in Tassajara with Suzuki Roshi for many years. He's a cook. He's very 
very good teacher. Also, uh, dinner will be served because it's Ed Brown, because he's, you know, Mr. Greens and all that. Uh, it would be a great help if people could assist our volunteers in tonight's cleanup. Appreciate help putting away chairs and cushions. Any assistance you can lend in tidying up the hall is greatly appreciated. And then remember, if you want to go east, you have to go west when you leave Spirit Rock. In other words, you need to make a right turn and then a left turn into Woodacre and come back around. If you make a left turn, we, our friends, the police people, are being very mindful of that these days. <laughs> and even a U-turn at Railroad Avenue when you go left, they're very mindful of that. So if you want to have a mindful experience with the police, you can do as you see fit. But otherwise, uh, take good care, everybody. Please join us in San Francisco if you're ever interested. We meet every Sunday night. San Francisco at the Unitarian Church, 7 and 9 on Sunday. I'm there. Pamela Weiss teaches the Wednesday night class. Everybody. Oh, one minute. We'll just do a quick sharing of merit. Okay. May the, may the goodness of our contemplation here this evening, of our time together, of our intention, the blessings of the Dharma, may any merit that has accrued from our goodwill, may it go out in every direction, touching beings in every world, like ripples on water. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken in this very body, in this very life. May all beings be free. Thank you, everybody. Take good care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.